Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is Pag. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. and welcome to the computer resume podcast the show covering the entire star trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old i'm your host writer comedian mr todd a davis in this man's hands are jonathan archer kieran arise tom paris scotty blazing bev oh no odo and captain wharf aboard the uss grundle back since his last appearance in our fantasy draft episode it's john paul Newton! I forgot the name of my ship, the Grundle. Yeah. (laughs) The proud uh, commissioner of the Grundle. Yes, that was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to doing that again. Uh, So uh, Gary will have to eventually defend his title. Uh, But yeah, it's going to be fun. I want to rematch with Gary. (laughs) All right. All right. The gauntlet has been thrown. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm putting it out there. Nice, nice. How uh how have you been, man? It's been uh it's been like six months, uh maybe more since we've uh got on for one of these. What have you been up to? I've been tired. I'm very tired. <laughs> it's going around. <laughs> yeah. Working overtime the last few weeks. Nice. So yeah. Finally getting a break. I have my I have my vacation. Here. Is that your vacation Tomorrow. home? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sorry. It looks super cozy i'm super jealous camper in the desert yeah <laughs> that's so, awesome all man. the creature comforts and and none of the people <laughs> right oh my gosh this would be so great if it weren't for all the people <laughs> yeah yeah but uh so i assume that you've been keeping up with star trek enterprise and watching uh every episode along with the show is that right oh yeah 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 <laughs> i leave work early it's <laughs> so, like i gotta go <laughs> I gotta go and watch this twenty-year-old yeah. TV show that nobody likes. <laughs> I, I know we're in the middle of a Broadway show right now, but I uh, oh. I've got Star Trek to watch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Have you um, have you have you watched much of the new Trek? I know you were kind of dabbling in some of the new stuff that came out. Have you have you watched any more of it? Any more of like Discovery or Strange New Worlds that just started? Not at all. And uh, honestly, I don't. I don't have Paramount Plus, and I had to start a free trial to review the episodes that we're covering. Oh, that was fresh for the uh, for the recording. Um, so I'm, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go back and cancel that free trial, so I don't end up forgetting about it and paying for it. Hey, I understand. I understand. If you were going to uh, to keep it, I would highly recommend checking out at least that first episode of Strange New Worlds. It's actually it's actually pretty cool. They've they've found. They, I think they found a nice middle ground between like super serious Trek and like, oh yeah, this is supposed to be fun Trek. Like it, it's a, it's a nice blending of the two, not to mention uh, they did bring back the episodic structure while leaving the uh, character arcs 
you know, making the character arcs serialized. So, you know, as characters change throughout the episodes, those changes remain in place. Um, you know, the personal interactions and things like that, which kind of creates that cohesive, you know, bond as they go from adventure to adventure every week. Um, but it's got a little bit more of an episode of the week kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Monster and it's the week kind of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think. I first heard that term, you know, uh, freak of the week, I think with, with shows like, uh, supernatural and, uh, Smallville, uh, X-Files is what I was saying. X-Files. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about them. Yeah. They do. They did that too. Um, but yeah, they, you know, with all the technology and stuff, it of course looks amazing. The cast is great. And I think they've kind of settled into a really nice blend of a couple different things to make a really accessible enjoyable show so that's my strange new world soapbox but uh you know this you know diving back into enterprise here what did you think of this because this is kind of this is this is the end of the road in term the end of the road that they you know this long road that they've been on getting from there to here uh of the zindi war this is kind of the end of that you know this the stakes have been so high for so long um, did you, did you find this to be a satisfying ending without giving, you know, without getting into spoilers too much? Well, um, I don't know. Uh, it's been a minute since I went through the entire series, so I didn't have a clear recollection of everything leading up to where we are mm-hmm. picking up. Um, but as I watched it, you know, I, I did remember like a sense of what was going on. You know, the the um, what was it? Uh, interdimensional kind of. Uh, yeah. The temporal war type stuff. The time travel. Yeah. 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 Um, and the establishment of the Federation with Jonathan mm-hmm. Archer being kind of a cornerstone of that. Right. Um, and then I watched a little bit into the first episode of the next season because it is a, a season finale yeah um, yeah this is this is to, the season three finale yeah yeah trying to to rebuild the my memory of the context of what's going on um and i guess it's been long enough since i watched it that i kept thinking as i was watching the finale that it was more of a like a, almost like a series finale um yeah it had that feel to it because i don't remember where the show goes from here but i know there's at least one more season or maybe two more seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, season four is the final season. That and um, yeah, so this, yeah, that was, that was kind of my thoughts too. And uh, you know, we're, our thinking is pretty much right on par with a lot of the reviewers who, you know, covered this at the time and since of like this ended, it ended fairly well, but you have this cliffhanger of, you know, him being, uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll say that, but you know, the idea of it being this huge season long Zindi war arc, you know, that mm-hmm. started with the season two finale, um, you know, with the, with the Zindi attacking earth or, you know, carving, you know, carving a new grand Canyon in Florida. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then that carries over to this episode. This is the end of the Zindi war. Um, and yeah, a lot of people are thinking, you know, this was, you know, super heavy on the action. We got a lot of emotional beats here too. And then, you know, it, it wraps up fairly well, but then you have this very odd cliffhanger 
And uh, yeah, it takes you into this next thing. And I know that there were some changes behind the scenes too. Uh, so we'll get into that. But before we go too much further, let's get to this week's recap. Brought to you in part by our Patreon supporters, Rev J, Jerry Antimano, and Cosmic Crit. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. UPM Wednesday, the Star Trek Enterprise season finale. Your world is no longer the only one in jeopardy. The future of every Star Trek captain, every crew, every ship you've ever known depends on this moment. You can't ignore your place in history. My mission is to save her. If you are killed, none of this will happen. The survival of one human. We're not dead yet. The Star Trek Enterprise season finale. T'Pol orders Enterprise to Sphere 41 in an attempt to destroy the entire Sphere network. They arrive to find that the Sphere builders have created a distortion field around it. And so on. Doc Flox determines that 12 to 15 minutes of exposure will kill the crew. Undeterred, Tapucker deduce a modification to the deflector dish that can be used to destroy the sphere. Kaboom! As they approach, two guardians arrive and begin damaging the ship's systems, but they can't prevent the sphere's destruction. Yes, Rico! Kaboom! It implodes, setting off a chain reaction that destroys the rest of the spheres, ending all spatial anomalies in the Delphic Expanse. Meanwhile, Archer, accompanied by Reed, Hoshi, and a team of Makos, enters the vortex created by the Zindi weapon. During the pursuit, a recovering Hoshi is pushed by Archer to decipher Degra's schematics. Archer is suddenly pulled into the future by Temporal Agent Daniels, this time to the founding of the Federation. But Archer is again uninterested. But I... Arriving near Earth, Archer receives an unexpected transmission from Jeffrey Combs, who engages and then destroys the reptilian ship. In the chaos, Archer and his team are able to beam aboard the weapon. Uh, there was a firefight! And as Archer and Hoshi try to disable the weapon, Commander Dolem attempts to stop them. Archer kills him, and the weapon is destroyed. Yes, Rico! Kaboom! Hoshi and Reed return to Enterprise and report to T'Pol that Archer didn't make it off the weapon. Ferried on an aquatic ship, Enterprise arrives back at Earth, but they are unable to contact Starfleet. T'Pol orders Trip and Travis to fly a shuttle pod down to San Francisco, where they are attacked by what appears to be P-51s. The final scene moves to a World War II German field hospital. A doctor summons some SS officers to examine the unfamiliar uniform of a burn patient who was recently brought in. The patient is revealed as Archer. Ooh, that's interesting. One of the SS personnel steps out of the shadows, revealing himself to be a gray-skinned alien. I don't care! So, yeah, we get this big, huge finale to the Zindi War. I mean, we're talking with slow motion running and big explosions and grabbing the grabbing Hoshi's shoulders and saying, you got to do it. Uh, you got to break the codes. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, we've seen these characters come a long way. Uh, it's been a long road getting from there to here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's two, that's two theme song references so far. If you're keeping <laughs> count, if you're keeping count folks, if you're doing shots, 
if you didn't get the first one, go ahead and make this one a double. Um, yeah, every time you hear me groan. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is this has been kind of interesting. How did you feel, um, you know, from the last time you were on the show to now, the character interactions and the character development? Uh, do you recall, you know, seeing that and then looking at it, you know, juxtaposed to now, you know, do you feel that the characters have progressed in their development that people care about them a little bit more? I think so. I think that they're very sympathetic characters for the most part. Mm. Um, Phlox is, is uh, definitely a standout and obviously Archer. Um, to Paul, to Paul is hit and miss with me. Um, yeah. Sometimes I feel like they, uh, they sacrifice some of the, kind of traditional view of the Vulcan in service of some of the character interactions and, and relationship development. Yeah. I feel like T'Pol really got the raw end of the deal in terms of, you know, they, they set her up to explore so much and yet really just barely scratched the surface. You know, we saw a few episodes ago that she was dealing with an addiction to a particular mineral that mm. uh, that they were using to uh, eventually fortify the ship, and you know it would Im- increase the shields and the uh, the hull integrity. And because it because her people are highly uh, not allergic, but uh, but it's ve- it's very harmful. The radiation from it is very very harmful. So she was slowly exposing herself to it to inoculate herself, which caused her to become addicted to it. Yeah, yeah, and I thought it would would have been a really great exploration and um, discussion, you know, in terms of science fiction storytelling and you know cautionary tale about addiction. But it was sort of glossed over and dismissed like just as quickly. And yeah, yeah. I was like, just oh, touch yeah. on it and then move on. Yeah, yeah, there was it was hardly touched on at all, and uh, you know. You, d- you mentioned uh, Doc Flox. I think we've seen uh, him over the course of the series so far really have some fantastic moments. And I think some of that's, um, you know, I think the the credit goes all the way around. I think, it, you know, from the director and uh, certainly the writing to, of course, John Billingsley turning in fantastic performance after fantastic per- performance as Flox and seeing that, you know, a lot of those things him acting as the voice of reason mm-hmm. to Archer, who, you know, Archer was just kind of inept and just not making good decisions. Well, at the end of season two, all of that ineptitude turned into hyper-focused vengeance, which is also not great for a captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Flux, well, I mean, it's compelling. It, um, it is very compelling to watch, but it's kind of nice to see Flox go, hey, that's not why we're here. <laughs> Yeah. This is not what we're meant to do uh, in some instances. Now, there are other instances where he's like, look, I, I don't like it, but this is kind of what we have to do because, yes, we're saving your planet right now. My planet's in the line of fire, too. So, um, you know, it's kind of nice seeing that because he's, you know, I've, I, po- I pointed out much earlier in the run of Enterprise, like he's not a member of Starfleet. He's he's there. He's there as he was there for one mission and decided to stay. Um, but yeah, this has been uh, this has been really interesting to watch uh, his progression along with uh, Hoshi. We've seen her go from 
sort of, you know, mousy, uh, unsure of herself uh, nerd to POW. And, you know, in a, in a pinch, like she's kind of the one you want on your side working behind the scenes, uh, tightening the bolts, as it were, uh, to get the job done. You know, she's gone much farther than just establishing the universal translator. We've seen her become a reliable officer. Yes, she kind of, you know, she's still kind of low on the totem pole in terms of rank and experience and stuff. But you know what? When when shit hits the fan, she's ready to go. And that's been yeah, interesting I mean, to watch still, as well. She still strikes me as uh, a weaker character. Sure. Um, but all of this, you know, everything that you were just saying, I, I, I suppose uh, it really... In some way, it's kind of a credit to the writers because I think it goes a long way to kind of establish this backstory for the development of Starfleet as a concept. Mm. Um, you know, Jonathan Archer <clears throat> and to some extent, some of the rest of the crew, uh, Dr. Flux, you know, excluded. Uh, they've got this very, uh, it's very much kind of a space cowboy kind of feel very much which i think would be fitting for you know this is a point in humanity's development where we're just now uh able to go this far into space exploration uh so there's you know probably still uh some residual uh kind of like uh uh early uh modernity post-enlightenment kind of like exploratory vibe you know like we're sure. all, we're conquering you know uh the earth except not space yeah um, and uh and you see the how how flux you know will influence the direction of that and in and knowing where this is all going with the uh you know the things we learn in the season three finale it all it's all kind of baked in you know it all it all starts to to make sense in a logistical way and, and uh, you know, like with a view to ultimately where uh, humanity's future is going with yeah. what we know from the, uh, the other franchise. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think in looking at uh, understanding that science fiction, especially really good science fiction has always been kind of a, a cautionary tale, you know, holding a mirror up to society and getting us to talk about things, um, you know, issues of the day and, you know, where do we go from here or do we need to course correct or have, you know, whatever, whatever that is. And I can't help but think of, you know, being that this show is 20 years old, you know, some of the issues that they were touching on in the original series are still very relevant today. And looking at this show that was created very much post 9-11, it's, it's right after 9-11, you know, the issues of the day are fresher, more fresh than, uh, than they were in the 60s. You know, things have progressed, be it good or bad is up for debate. But, you know, looking at things that are happening currently, um, you know, are we seeing are we seeing some parallels? Are we seeing, you know, those that don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it? Are, 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 is that is is that the direction that we're going? Are we repeating? Has the pendulum finally swung back in the other direction? Are we seeing that, you know, Archer is so focused on preserving preserving earth can that be a metaphor for a particular group trying to preserve an idea 
and flocks being again the voice of reason going hey that's actually not why we're here you know our goal is actually this you know we have to look at this from all angles do, do you see any parallels do you see any correlation between this show that's 20 years old and what's happening in the news today versus you know things that were talked about back in the 1960s um do you see any parallels there i don't know i'd have to go back and watch more like i'd have to re-familiarize myself with a lot of what's going on in the show as a whole uh and it's i don't let me let me let me clarify I mean, and say that it's 20 years old i mean for start you right know. Okay. right and i remember i remember the maxim covers with jolene blaylock you know uh <laughs> but it's still it feels like it, it wasn't quite that long ago and so to place it in that context and then try to think about what was going on then that might inform what is happening in the show <clears throat> it, it would take some time for me to think about probably yeah, I th- and again, I stayed, you know, in my lead up on that on this particular topic, I stayed fairly vague just because I haven't really put much thought into this uh, and until we were sitting here talking now and it's causing me to, you know, as we're talking and as we're, as I'm thinking about things uh in in life in the world today, especially here in America, um, you know, it's causing me to sort of stop and think and look and assess and you know is there is there a lesson to be gleaned here um you know it's no matter what side you take i think we can all agree things are bad (laughs) and uh and doesn't look to be getting much better anytime Mm -hmm. soon um yeah so you know in again you know looking at this show that was created post 9-11 and a lot of the zindi war is reflective of the thoughts that were at the forefront during the day everybody was the war on terror the war on terror the war on terror Mm -hmm. and you know we got into some issues of treatment of prisoners you know we saw archer toss a pirate into into an airlock well it was revealed that that pirate was trapped in the delphic expanse and just trying to just trying to survive you know so there were there was a discussion to be had there and we've seen you know these folks who are attacking earth because they've been led to believe that their civilization is at stake um so yeah, yeah, everything's an existential threat that you have to fight exactly exactly yeah. so you know i you know in looking at the symbolism and metaphors that they're using here i'm wondering if those translate to things that are going on today because every side is so convinced that they're right you know it's 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 weird to think that they don't they don't know that they're right but they think that they're right they believe that they're right and i'm specifically not saying one side or another because i don't think it really holds to one side or another both sides can do that (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's everywhere yeah it's everywhere and uh, and that's part of the problem is that we've lost the you know everyone's very much uh you know there's this idea going around that that uh moderate politics or centrism is like some kind of four-letter word and it's like no that's you know you you find the middle ground that's how you keep people with two completely opposing views from killing each other you know yeah yeah and you know i i've i think i mentioned this on the show before and it's it's been some time where i did you know i recall one of the rare instances where i happened to be watching the news with my dad 
And I, I was very young at the time. And, you know, they were talking about stuff going on in the Middle East, you know, the conflict in the Middle East. And I remember looking at my dad going, dad, what is this all about? What, what's, you know, what's the, what's the catalyst? What's, why is this happening? What, what is going on over there? And he gave a little bit of an explanation that, um, that I don't recall, but the one thing that he did say that has always stuck with me was you'll never win a religious war. And while this, while much of the conflict going on today is not, is not strictly religious, a lot of people are pulling their religious beliefs into it. And it goes back to what I said earlier about, they don't, know that they're right. They think that they're right. And they believe that they're right. If they believe that they're right, that's really hard to get someone to see, to see anyone else's side or to, you know, take a, you know, take a a short trek uh, in someone else's shoes. And, you know, again, they're, they're bringing those religious war sensibilities into something that is not an issue of religion. It's, uh, it's, and again, I'm, I'm staying, I'm staying purposely vague just because I don't want to be perceived as an expert in this because I'm not. <laughs> well, the issue is that one of the, uh, the things that people overlook, I'll say is that, uh, religiosity isn't something that is exclusive to people with mm. Uh, beliefs about spirituality Mm. you can be religious about uh very secular things and i would say that a lot of the extreme voices on the left are absolutely religious they are dogmatic it's just not grounded in any existing religion Mm. it's a new religion it's a political religion it's a secular religion wow that's um it's interesting and it can i imagine to some can be scary that's because that's a that's uh, that's new ground. I feel like, or maybe I mean, maybe it's maybe it's not. Dog- maybe I'm just naive. <laughs> uh, well, dogma is dogma. Any any belief that you cling to with religious fervor, that's dogma. It doesn't have to be about God. You know, it can be about gender identity. You know, it can be about lots of different things. Uh, if you refuse to listen to a reasoned argument opposing what you think you are being religious, you know, you are defending something as sacred. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's interesting to think about. That's an interesting concept. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't know that a lot of people see it as such. I think there, there seems to be a lot of, cause even people in my own personal life are, you know, of the collective group that are in my circle of existence. Um, yeah, yeah. I your, have, your yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have varied opinions, opinions on both sides. And there's, uh, you know, there's a, a sense of, okay, are, do you hear what you just, did you, did you hear what you just said? Yes. <laughs> like, cause I did. And I also know you personally. And I, I don't think that that's actually aligned, you know, I, there's with, yeah. with some of this and, and, and again, I'll, I'll stay vague and, um, uh, and, keep the names to myself to yeah, uh yeah. to protect keep, keep it uh uh what is the word i'm looking for non-controversial right yeah. right yeah but there's instances of folks who are proponents of a certain train of thought and then when they come with these uh very hard stances on issues 
I look back to the things that they've also said and stood for in the past and the hypocrisy is, is mind blowing. And you know, it's the folks who can't see the forest through the trees and like, really, because you've spent your life saying X and mm-hmm. now you're approaching this issue with just as much fervor, fervor, mm-hmm. and it is completely opposite. <laughs> yeah, they're di- diametrically opposed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance. Oh, and yeah. my favorite, my favorite example of it so far, and this could apply to either side, is you know, it, it's all encapsulated in the phrase "my body, my choice," right? Mm. Because on the left, you've got that, or well, not even say on the left, we'll say. Uh, pro-choice people will say my body my choice right or their body their choice whatever yeah and you say okay fine but then anti-vax people will say my body my choice and the other side is like no what but uh uh, you know and then you see the the machinery in their minds like grinding to a halt and breaking down yeah like oh you didn't you didn't think it through did you you know (laughs) yeah and uh Oh. And it goes both ways. You know, the anti-vax people, when they're confronting pro-choice, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, yeah. if it's either, it's either this way for everything, or, you know, you got to soften your stance a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, don't get me wrong. I was raised very uh, fundamentalist, uh, Southern Baptist, um, you know, parents who believed a very specific political alignment was akin to uh the religion akin to mm-hmm. yeah. you know what we were uh worshiping and you know i think pat oswalt has a has a bit about at one point growing up you reach a certain point where an a quote-unquote adult says something to you and in your own mind you go i think that's bull- <laughs> yeah. i was just like i don't think you know what you're talking about yeah yeah and I, think, I specifically remember entering that period of my life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I had uh, some uh, vague recollection of that period of my time of my life as well. And uh, yeah, it was, I was at a, I was at a very religious school when the veil started to fall from my eyes and I was seeing things for what they really were <laughs> like, and hearing oh, man. part of the problem with a lot of, a lot of re- uh religion in america i would say i can't speak to other countries but uh the proponents of especially christianity mm-hmm. um don't even really understand fully their own religion it's a lot of parroting yeah yeah you know? and and the same thing applies politically you know yeah. a lot of people are just picking a side because it uh on on a superficial level it's like yeah that's right and then they're you know sticking to it yeah i will say that it is very it is very passionate. <laughs> it, well, the, 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 it, you know, both sides tend to find the thing that stirs their passion the most. Yeah, but that's um, but that's go, not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. There's there's some weight to that, but it's very superficial. It's and it's yeah. very fading and fleeting. If that's if that's what you're looking for. Go, you know, go watch an Oscar winning movie or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, passion is important, but it's also misleading. Mm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you look at, you look at any decent movie producer. Uh, the wife and I just finished watching uh, on available on Paramount plus 
The Offer, which is a 10-part miniseries about the making of The Godfather. And okay. it's uh, it's actually, it's really fantastic. But uh, the actor, I believe it's Matthew Good, who plays legendary movie producer Robert Evans, um, you really get to see um, just how much sway passion can have over a particular person, especially mm-hmm. when you're dealing with people who are in control of the finances and and things like that. And we're just talking about making a movie here. If you're looking for a modern example, go pop in your DVD of The Matrix and listen to Joel Silver talk about anything. And you will be like, this is going to be the greatest movie of all time. And, you know, that's yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. a producer does. And I think yeah. a lot of... They're hype men. They're yeah. hype men. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think there's something... I think there is something there. You know, the second part of this episode of Enterprise sees something that we all thought had been left behind Nazis. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, everybody kind of uh, forgets that I think almost every iteration of Trek has commented specifically on Nazis or, you know, the world war two era of existence in some form or fashion, the defining moment of, of the modern world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, change the direction of everything true and of course you know gene roddenberry having served uh you know that was very important to him and and let's not forget right in front of captain kirk was a japanese pilot you know that was Mm -hmm. kind of a big deal even in the 1960s uh you know 20 years removed from uh 20 years removed from world war ii it was still kind of a big deal and and now that we're seeing people, um, uh, there's a comedian, um, oh, and now I've forgotten her name, um, but she's uh, uh, talking about, there's always been Nazis, now it's just okay to do it outside. And we're seeing, we're seeing, uh, you know, some of that come about again. Uh, it's been, been coming around for the last couple of years being uh, you know, affiliated with particular political leaders and things of that nature. Um, but here we, here we are seeing it again, uh, even in enterprise, we're seeing, Oh, let's, let's go back to this very volatile period of history. And um, you know, let's look at this yet again here in the cliffhanger. Of course, we'll get into it more uh, in season four, but uh, yeah, I, I, I have trouble, and again, maybe it's because I'm naive, but I have trouble thinking that anyone could think it's a good idea. Like, I, I have trouble seeing where, where, hey, I know, let's go ahead and just bring back the swastikas and the shaved heads and, and you know, let's go attack people who are just trying to live their lives. I, I struggle to find where that you know how people could just, yeah no yeah that's a good idea tiki torch sure why not yeah well i'm not sure i know specifically what you're referring to but one thing that i would note that uh, i think is very interesting is that there is a study and i don't remember the name of the study or who conducted it but i could find out very quickly um there is a study that uh has found that uh, the precursor to any genocidal event in a, in world history mm. is this sense of oppression. Uh, and the people who feel oppressed eventually feel 
so uh, so strongly about that oppression and are so convinced of the oppression, whether it's real or not, that they turn on the oppressor in mass, and that's what drives the genocide. Uh-huh. So in pre in Weimar Germany, in in pre Nazi Germany, it was that they had been. Uh, you know, after World War One, they had been completely uh, broken. You know, they had been uh, there. There were all these limitations placed on them by uh, the international community, et cetera, et cetera. And they uh, they were humiliated. They were suffering. They were uh, economically devastated. And uh, you know, someone came around and said, "This is the group of people who was doing it." And that person was very convincing. And then you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's interesting to think about, and uh, and so what my point here being that this is another thing that is applicable to both sides because when you've got people on the left saying that you know uh, such and such group has no rights and we're being oppressed and we're being oppressed and we're being oppressed, that drives very irrational reactions. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, it's the people that uh, make these things sort of happen that I find fascinating as to the train of thought and uh, the outcomes of these things. Uh, Speaking of people involved and people responsible, let's get to our one of our favorite segments. It's one of the only segments we have (laughs) titled Who Do We Blame? Uh, This episode was written by Berman and Braga. Uh, the last episode that they worked on was season three, episode 18, Azadi Prime uh, with Manny Cotto, uh, which we discussed uh, back on episode 64 with independent Lego mock builder Chris Ames. And uh, this was directed by Alan Coker, Croker. And this was directed by Alan Croker. Uh, the last episode he directed was also Azadi Prime, season three, episode 18. Uh, the, in terms of the guest stars, we've got a lot of familiar folks. Again, this is the conclusion of a season-long arc, so a lot of these names are very familiar at this point. Scott McDonald, Rick Worthy, the unkillable Tucker Smallwood, uh, Bruce Thomas, Matt Winston, uh, son of the legend, uh, as temporal agent Daniels, Mary Mara, of course, Mr. Jeffrey Combs, and J. Paul Bomer as the SS officer. We've actually talked about him once before. The name looked familiar to me, so I had to go back into my notes. Uh, We actually covered most of his credits on episode 24 with Mr. Justin Bishop. He's actually a franchise regular, so uh, I love love my character actors, and he's one uh, to definitely keep your eye on. Michelle Erica Green for Trek Nation found the ending of this episode amusing described it as an insane left hook of a cliffhanger and she, that hits the nail on the head to be honest uh jammers reviews gave the episode a 2.5 out of four out of four let's try it again jammers reviews gave the episode a 2.5 out of four stars and they said the final scene was the ultimate wtf ending uh and compared it to the jarring finale of tim burton's planet of the planet of the apes I don't know that anybody should compare anything to Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Do you, do you remember that? Do you, did you see that movie? Oh, yeah, but I don't remember the end of it. Although I, I also know exactly why you're saying no one should be comparing anything to Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. Yeah. This is touching on another controversial moment. Right. I think the big shocker ending of that one was instead of, you know, the, the of course, the original had Charlton Heston on the beach. 
yeah. seeing the the Statue, Statue of Liberty, Liberty, of course, you maniacs and pounding the sand, you blew it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. The whole um, in Tim Burton's version, he uh, he uh, Mark Wahlberg's character, mistake number one, uh, but uh, he arrives back in what appears to be modern day America in Washington, D.C., and then turns around and sees that the Lincoln Memorial is an ape version of the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. Yeah, I um, yeah. So I think that was the big shocker there. And I think a lot of people just so many eyes rolled at that. Uh, but yeah, that was, it's, I don't know. I, I, I feel like it was not good, but it's been so long that I feel like I have to maybe revisit it just to remind myself of how bad it was. Like I don't have like a really, I'm sorry. The movie as a whole. Yeah. Yeah. The movie as a whole and just kind of remind myself, Oh yeah. Yeah. It is bad. (laughs) I, I, yeah. I mean, there are parts that I remember thinking like, like Tim Roth, I think is great. Yes. But Tim Roth is always great. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought Helen Bonham Carter was really good. Mm -hmm. Um, I do understand not being crazy about Mark Wahlberg being the lead. Um, yeah. Although I guess in comparison to Charlton Heston of the day, I was Mark Wahlberg, the Charlton Heston at that time. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so. I think it's, could you see Mark Wahlberg playing Moses? No, <laughs> no, not at all. I, I couldn't see Mark Wahlberg playing any biblical character. No, um, although part of me really wants to like just I, yeah, it'd, it'd be, it'd it'd be, be an SNL skit. It would. Yeah. 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 But he's the funky bunch man. You know, like it's, it's hard to take him too seriously. <laughs> exactly. Um, and if you're going to put him in a role where he's got to be a little bit more serious, something like four brothers is good. Where right. he's part of an ensemble. You yeah. Know. He's a tough, uh, he's, he's a, he's a tough guy. He's a Boston tough guy. Yeah. 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 He's a new Englander with an attitude. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, IGN gave this episode a 1.5 out of five. It's a little harsh, but, uh, and said while parts of the episode had flashes of what the series should be, it was still as big a mess as the rest of season three. I, I don't know that I, that I really can get on board with that. And they of course criticized the ending long plot arc uh, and then having a cliffhanger, which, okay. That lends a little bit of weight to their, to their opinion there. What culture ranked this episode, the 12th worst episode of the star Trek franchise. I'm like, yeah. It seems a theme that that uh, this show gets judged maybe a little bit more harshly than it should at times. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, you know, the I've spoken at length about you know the TNG era, which Enterprise is technically the end of the TNG era, but TNG Deep Space Nine Voyager they set that bar very very high. Yeah, and, and I mean I, especially TNG and Deep Space Nine. Yeah, like it's, for sure, it's broken mold. Yeah, absolutely. And then James Gray, writing for the Digital Fix, was positive about the episode, <clears throat> concluding that it was a satisfyingly action-packed climax to the season. I can agree with that. And uh, in 2021, Digital Fix said that the episode and the preceding countdown were an exciting end to an ambitious season. I think absolutely, because you know this was the first time you know they kind of dipped their toe in a little bit, but this was really the first big push towards serialized Star Trek. Uh, we mm-hmm. hadn't it had all been episodic it had all been episodic since 66 
And uh, this was that first big move. And I think, you know, for better or worse, I think, especially now looking at new Trek, which is largely serialized, um, especially with discovery, discovery, discovery and Picard are both very, very serialized and strange new worlds has some elements of that too, but more on the character side. Anyway, you know, I don't think, I don't think there would be such a push for that now if enterprise hadn't done it this way 20 years ago. Yeah. So uh, JP, we've got uh, this question that we've been asking folks. I believe this is the first time I'll be asking you this question. Is this episode is zero hour essential viewing? If somebody is sitting down watching Star Trek for the first time and they come to the Zindi war, uh, is this an episode that they can't miss? So my question would be, how do we define essential viewing here? Because Star Trek at this point, there's how many iterations of the franchise are there? There's, there's the original, there's TNG, there's Deep Space Nine, there's Voyager. That's four. Yeah. Uh, Then you've got Enterprise, Discovery, Strange New Worlds. If you want to throw lower decks in there, that's fine. I don't think it's necessary. That seems to me more of like a peripheral thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it doesn't really play directly into any of the other, from my understanding, I haven't watched it, but it doesn't seem to play directly into any of the other. I think it could, I think it definitely stands apart from everything yeah. else. Um, so I don't know. Um, I think that if you are someone who has already made a foray into the Star Trek universe, uh, I think you could make the argument. I don't necessarily think you'll be losing anything by not watching it, but I'll go back to what I said earlier, uh, which is that, you know, the more familiar I get with enterprise as a, as a chapter in the greater, you know, uh, franchise narrative, Mm -hmm. um, the more I see the way that they are, building to what the star trek universe will become a hundred years into their future mm, you know yeah yeah absolutely i think uh you know with this being a good backstory yeah absolutely i think with this being the end i mean quite literally the final chapter of the zindi war if you've been watching enterprise to this point i think yeah this is sort of a satisfying ending i think you could even from this very episode, even with the cliffhanger, I think you could step to the next to the next show. You could go from this right to discovery just because that cliffhanger, while it does, you know, oh, what's going to happen next? It really just kind of sets the stage for like, hey, look, just when you think <laughs> something's going to happen or something has come to an end, something else is right around the corner. And I think Jumping from this episode into the events of the pilot episode of Discovery with uh, spoilers, if you haven't seen Discovery, but, uh, you know, with the mutiny instigated by Michael Burnham, that's a huge, huge turn right off the bat. And Mm. I think it really does set the stage because she's in a position of she's in a position of authority. She's first officer of the Shinzo. And then to see her go from first officer to mutineer and then slowly work her way back up over four seasons now, you know, it really does show like anything can happen. And then you get to series, you get to series like uh, TNG where you've established relationships. And then very early on, one of your prominent characters 
dies, Tasha mm-hmm. Yar. And I think that's another great way to say, hey, look, nobody's safe. <laughs> Anything can happen. So yeah. I think if you have, if you were strictly watching character arcs, you could probably put together a decent character arc from selected episodes of season one and two of Enterprise. And that's, and that's great. If, you know, if you really want to watch the Tucker and uh, to Paul relationship, you know, if you want to follow Hoshi, if you want to follow Doc Flocks is a great one. If you, if you want to follow Archer, obviously he's kind of the, he's the, he's the big star of the show. A lot of the show kind of rested on his shoulders you could absolutely get as you could absolutely get a decent slice of the character development from season one and two. But once you hit, once you hit the season two finale, the season two finale is definitely a, a, a decider. It's definitely a decider episode because after that, if you're, if you're still in, then you're then buckle up because here comes season three and it is it is a series it is a season long arc of the Zindi War. Um, now again, if you get through this the Zindi War, you can stop, but uh, then you kind of have to go right into Discovery. But uh, you know, I'm anxious to see what the rest of season four has in store for uh, for the viewers and for storytelling and for these characters. I know a little bit of it and I'm sure uh, some folks recall and are familiar, even if it's just through memes and gifts, but uh, you know, I'm excited to see where we go from here. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts about this episode? Uh, season three, your, your experience watching enterprise uh, with me <laughs> uh, so far, the, the parts that you have watched. <laughs> Oh, I've watched the entire series. Oh, you have? Um, okay, great, great, great. Yeah, yeah. But it was, uh, I went through it all. Um, I mean, it's been at least a year, mm. maybe more than that. I don't know. It's all kind of run together the last couple of years. Um, what was the question? Where does where does Enterprise, if you had to give it a thumbs up, thumbs down, because this is, you know, I've been going back and forth about my overall feelings about enterprise, which I was always kind of indifferent. A lot of people seem to really hate it. And I was just like, look, it's Star Trek, you know, it's, it, you know, it's just more of the same. This is great, but, you know, sort of deep diving uh, into these episodes and taking a look back and, you know, taking at least a small peek behind the curtain. I've, my opinion has been slowly leaning towards, Uh, you know what? This isn't so bad. You know what? I actually kind of like it. I think I really like it. And I've been getting dangerously close to saying, I love it. Uh, Um, So uh, (laughs) where, where do you sit on that spectrum of hate to love? (laughs) Well, I was definitely indifferent to it for a long time Mm. uh, and, and was leaning towards uh, the hell with this based solely on the opening theme. Um, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I don't think I you're still, alone on that either. <laughs> still hate it. I still hate it. Um, however, I think that it's, it's actually not uh, more of the same. And that may be why uh, a lot of Star Trek fans hate it. it. It may not be. It may be more nuanced than that. Um, but the fact that it's not entirely more of the same is actually its strength. Because uh, going back again to what I've been saying, it's uh, it's it, it's a good backdrop for what will become the Star Trek universe. Mm. You know, when you look at 
when you consider leaving out uh, Discovery or Strange New Worlds, when you consider the <clears throat> kind of uh, the development of the uh, the Star Trek uh, ship captain kind of archetype mm-hmm, from mm-hmm. Archer to Kirk to Picard to Cisco, you know, to uh, Janeway. And Janeway is actually almost kind of bringing it back full circle. Um, yeah. You know, you see this progression from uh, kind of rough around the edges, space cowboy yeah. to slightly more disciplined uh, explorer, space cowboy and Kirk uh, to very diplomatic uh uh almost royal yeah uh, presence with Picard and Cisco you mm-hmm. know I think I think in that sense enterprise is is kind of valuable yeah and you know I I had never pieced that together but I think yeah it's not so much a straight line I think the the captain the the history of the captains actually does go in a circle because you're absolutely right you know uh Picard you know we get the the cowboy thing to Picard which Picard I've always described him as the soldier sailor um yeah, you know yeah. very dedicated very disciplined you know adheres very much to the rules and everything but then you get Cisco who kind of bucks a little bit against that in terms of uh, getting the job done and he's also a very passionate man who uh you know he's a father and he approaches things with that sort of fervor. And of course, he's viewed as a religious figure. Um, yeah, then, yeah. You get, then you get into Janeway, who uh, was sort of wrong place, wrong time. And she was probably closer to Cisco or Picard. But because of the circumstances, she was put way out, way out beyond anything that she uh, that anybody had known before, way out in the Delta Quadrant. So to get back she kind of had to break the rules and had to make some of her own. And some of those decisions weren't always great. And yeah, it it did kind of come back to how Archer was kind of the first one out there and was like, you know what? I, I don't know, but here we are. We're part of this thing called Starfleet. Nice to meet you. Can we, do you have any supplies we can trade? Can we learn anything from you? Oh, okay. Never mind. You're, you're not super friendly. We'll, we'll be on our way. (laughs) And, and through all of it, uh, no matter the the voicing, we'll say of, mm. of each figure, you know, whether it's you know uh, fully space cowboy or some some uh, mixture of all of them, uh, they remain these mythic figures, which is interesting. Yeah, and for and each in their own way and for different reasons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well. Next week, folks, we will be joined by my good friend, voice of reason and logic, uh, Mr. Google Boy himself, the co-host on Cinema Shock, Mr. Justin Bishop, will be joining us uh, for the first time since episode 24 back in August of last year. Uh, He will be joining us for Stormfront parts one and two. So that's Enterprise season four, episodes one and two, which of course are available exclusively on Paramount Plus. JP. Where can people find you and your fantastic artwork on the internet? Uh, I'm on Instagram at pneumophagia. That's P-N-E-U-M-A-P-H-A-G-I-A. Pneumophagia. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in 10 
please support us on Patreon and like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop. And our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn. And the voice of Computer Resume podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. A doctor summons some SS officers to examine the unfamiliar uniform of a burnt patient. Let's try that again. Burnt patient. Yeah. <laughs> they cooked them too long. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was 350. I had it set at 450. How's that for a slice of fried gold?